Spending some time reconnecting with nature this summer? Here's a camping hack from L.L. Bean to make your next trip the best yet. Tired of your tentmate's flashlights shining in your eyes in camp? Bring an empty half-gallon milk jug or clear water bottle. Simply strap a headlamp around it, and it becomes a soft white lantern for everyone to see the light. For more camping hacks, visit youtube.com slash L.L. Bean. L.L. Bean. Be an outsider. Welcome back to the Final Four is not on the schedule. He is Rod. I am Cameron. And Michigan State comes out of this one 73-64 against Louisville. Um, and, Rod, Michigan State comes into this one ranked 22nd in the country. Um, played about within four points for most of the first half until um, Max Christie hits a three and then Pierre Brooks hits a three to stretch it out to um, about six to eight, and that finishes at eight. Uh, at halftime, and then um, they come out. Uh, Aikens hits a three and, and then gets to the line. Um, Malik Hall gets uh, a bucket and then a three-pointer, and that kind of blew it open to 13. Uh, got as high as 15, maybe 18 at one point. No, I think it was I think it was 18 or 20. 18 or 20, and yeah. then they just couldn't quite put the nail in the coffin, but um, for the most part controlled this one. Most of the way. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't like the way they closed. Some of it was, look, you're letting a, a guy who hasn't done any kind of scoring got red hot for them, but else, but it would, had been really a marginal player and and scored. What did he do today? He scored, uh, he was four for seven from three, had 22 points. He was a, he was the high scorer in the game, which was ridiculous, but because um, he's not, you know, that's not who he's been. Um, he got hot, but uh, the the problem was Michigan State got uh, lackadaisical when it in combination with that when it really couldn't afford to do so, and um, that allowed Louisville to get back in the game. But but then again, let's not make too much out of it. The closest they got was eight. Yeah, MSU ends up winning by nine. Um, overall, I think. Uh, you know, kind of the story of this team was in this game, at least what we've seen from them so far. Mm-hmm. Um, they do some things really, really well. This was a great defensive game for Michigan State. I mean, yeah. great. Louisville shot 26% from three, 41% on the game. I'm I'm even surprised it was as high as 41%. Um I thought Michigan State was really, really good defensively. You saw all the things that we've seen this year, but in some ways more so. Marcus mm-hmm. Bingham's length played for sure in this game. Not as much with blocked shots. They credited him with three, but um, he also had two steals. And I, I just thought, I just thought the way he, the way he, especially during that stretch in the second half where they blew it out. Um, Marcus Bingham was dominant defensively during that stretch, but he wasn't alone. Tyson Walker played his best game in a Michigan State uniform, and part of that was he was great defensively. I, would, I didn't look ahead of time. Let me see what they – they credited him with four steals. Um, I thought that he was – if you and a block. And a block. I think he was even and better. And he should have had another block that yep, got called Terrible back. call. Yeah. 
terrible call in the first half. Um, and and really everybody had their moments defensively. I mean that was that was a really really good defensive effort. Mm. And then you know the other thing is as we've talked about coming out of Atlantis, this team was struggling shooting the ball from deep, and at times they've been inconsistent at the free throw line, but. Five out of six halves in Atlantis, they shot the ball well. And it felt to me like, all right, these guys may be coming out of it. Well, 10 for 18 today, and that's counting a couple of late misses by Gabe Brown, one of which absolutely should not have been shot, and he got pulled because of it um, off an offensive rebound where they're just trying to kill the clock. And I get it. That's the perfect time to shoot, best time to shoot a three off an offensive rebound but not in that situation. Izzo just couldn't believe his senior did that, but, you know, it happened. Uh, But despite that, 10 for 18 as a team, uh, that makes, in my book, six out of seven halves. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, seven out of eight. Seven out of the last eight halves, Michigan State has shot the three extremely well. They were 17 for 23 at the line, and that's so 74%, a little better than they've shot it as a team uh, coming in. And uh, that counts a couple of late misses by A.J. Hogard. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was even better. There was one point where they were, uh, yeah, they were 17 for 21, and then they missed the last two. So they were on track to be plus 80%. Yeah. Um, so they did all of those things well. In the second half, I thought they rebounded a lot better defensively. First half was a disaster. I, in fact, I, I made the comment at halftime on, on Twitter it was stunning that in a half that was played that poorly in terms of turnovers and defensive rebounding by Michigan State that they were up eight. And the reason was the way they shot the ball and the way they defended. That's really it. Because it was so good, it overrode those two things that we always talk about that can unfortunately even up a game where you're the better team. Mm-hmm. you know. And yet MSU was able to withstand that, and that is really the story of this game. And I would say, in total, the story of the season. You know, 19 turnovers, and you win by nine. That's uh, <laughs> The defense now, covers up so so many inefficiencies. It's crazy. And, and it it's does. not that they've played so bad, but we're getting, they'll be the number one defense. Once this Ken Palm comes out, um, you would think they'd game. have a shot. You would think they'd have a shot. Yeah, well, I, I was actually surprised. Point. I was surprised to see Louisville shot as well as they did, forty-two percent from the floor. I would have guessed they were sub forty, just watching it. Um, and they got that, some of that was helped by you know some of those heat check shots late. But yeah. uh, but anyway, I, they're, they're right there. And I would argue whatever Ken Palm says. I haven't seen. I'm not going to say any. I haven't seen many teams look better defensively than Michigan State has. I think Jay Billis made one mistake tonight. He said that uh, Michigan State, he's seen either live or on tape, he's seen every game they played, and he felt like defensively they showed up in every single one of them. I would say the Kansas game, in terms of dribble containment, was not uh, a great example of uh stellar Michigan State defense, but that's the opener. Mm-hmm. And that was a weird team, small ball. You know, they they just hadn't figured some things out yet. Since then, I would agree, though, they've been consistently really, really good, and tonight was no exception. 
you know, this is not a good Louisville offensive team. Not a very good one. No. So, you know, you'd hope that you'd, you'd do a good job, but that's where one of the ways it was that and shooting. That's where Michigan State won this game. You do that, you do those two things well enough. And that's the thing. That's the normal Michigan State equation, right? Is we figure we're going to outshoot you because we're going to, we're going to hold you down and we're going to shoot better than you do. So the only way you can beat us is if we're just kicking the ball around or getting beat on the boards. And that, to some extent, not the rebounding in total, but the turnovers. The other thing I guess I should say, Louisville did have 16 in their own. So yeah, it's not like there was a massive it. gap. You obsess on our number, which is horrific, but their number, which was as advertised, we said, they were only very, very slightly better than Michigan State in that area. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that played out, you know. So um, overall, I think there's a lot to feel good about. There's enough that you know has to be worked on. But um, there were some good things here. I mean, I thought Tyson Walker played his best game. I thought Max Christie, while far from being the guy that I think he can be, he had 11 points. He was aggressive which is good to see that he's not losing any confidence. And he's three for six from the floor, one for one from three, four for four at the line. So, And he yeah. played well defensively. Uh, the turnovers were a problem. And with him, it's that's the thing that's maddening. They, they had so many. We talk about this all the time, the unforced, just what the, what the F moments. And there were a boatload of them in this game. And Max was a prime offender. He was just stepping out of bounds on the, on the sideline. You know, mm-hmm. where you got to get your, I understand you got to get your spacing right with the extended three line, but come on. This has been in place now for a while. At that turnover he made where late in the game, which gave Louisville just a moment of life where he, he makes a pass and hits the rim, gets the ball back, and then throws it away. <laughs> yeah. Um, he had a rough game in that area, but every other way, I thought this was a, a really, really nice step forward for Max. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we could talk about all the rest of the guys, but I, I thought it was um overall it's it's what you it's what you would hope to see against a Louisville team that I think is is good, not great. I think they're gonna certainly be in the tournament conversation you would expect, but they're also not a team that probably is gonna be a contender for an ACC title either. So mm-hmm. Uh, another guy, Bingham, um, 22 minutes, 9 points, 12 rebounds, 3 for 5, 3 blocks, 2 steals. Great. Another great game from him. Great, great. Yeah, and, and he was, look, he was going up against a good opponent. You know, Malik Williams, I think we, we talked about him a lot because he's a guy that MSU recruited and, you know, is, is has been an effective player for them even though he's not the guy athletically he once was, and you saw it. I mean, Malik Williams had 10 and 8. You know, played a good game. Yeah. Uh, but Marcus Benham was the best big man on the floor. Mm-hmm. See, I, I thought he, he was a big factor, by the way. I want to credit him with this. He was a big factor, I felt, in the second half in terms of shutting off that offensive rebounding problem. Mm-hmm. You know, Louisville flat out was more aggressive. They were quicker to loose balls. And I thought there were even occasions in the second half, more so on just the loose balls kind of stuff, where that continued. But Marcus Bainham had a huge amount to do with 
uh, stemming the tide there. They, had, If I remember correctly, they had seven offensive rebounds at the half. They ended up with ten. Mm. So that's a, you know, and 12 obviously is a great individual number anyway, anyway you slice it. Um, four of them on the offensive boards as well. But, again, I thought in the second half – his defensive rebounding was really important. And, and then again, just, we, we say it seemingly almost every game, length plays. I, I felt like Louisville at times really just didn't have a good sense of how long he is. Yeah. There, were, there were passes they attempted to make that you just – you could see it where they, they were lobbing the ball. You know, they weren't trying to go straight through him. They would put a little yeah. arc on him. It's like – you got to put a little more to get over seven foot four, <laughs> and and I I really I really think that was the case. You know, offensively, I thought Marky played within himself. Um, nice, solid game. You know, three for five from the floor, three for four at the line. Um, just yeah, you you have to be really really happy with what Michigan State is getting out of Marcus Bingham, and it's a, it's against you know solid competition. I mean, I, I will say this, too, about the the, in the totality of the performance here. That team, Louisville, we talked about it coming in, that they checked out as a pretty good defensive team as well. And I think, I think we saw that. The difference between them and Michigan State is they don't make, the, um, they don't make as many of the disruptive plays. Mm-hmm. As I think Michigan State does. They don't have a shot-blocking presence the way Michigan State does. I mean, in, in this game, or the team totals, well, it was 5-3, but it, it felt worse than that, you know. They were credited with nine steals. MSU had ten, but I really think, I, I think if you watch these teams, you would say Michigan State is a more disruptive defensive team um, than Louisville, just, again, with the way their length plays. But you did see Louisville can, can check. Mm-hmm. That was a physical, in my opinion, very much a Big Ten style of game because Louisville doesn't doesn't pressure a trap unless they're down 17 and they're trying to get back in it. Um, they rely on uh, being gap sound and being physical. And, you know, I think the physicality cost them a little bit because they did foul a lot in yeah. both halves. And that, that put, you know, Michigan State had a big, big edge at the line. Louisville was 7 for 11 as a team. MSU seventeen for twenty three. That's that's your your margin mm-hmm. in the ball game. You know, ten points. Um, but I, I think it's a good test for my, the reason I thought about it was it's true for Marky, but I think it's true for all of them that you face a team that plays not too dissimilarly on the defensive end, at least from what a, a lot of what they're going to see as they move into conference play. That's a and, and I think they've seen that a few times. I think UConn was that way. Mm-hmm. Um, Loyola is in terms of their um, intelligence and physicality, not in terms of their length and athleticism. Uh, Baylor is obviously great defensively, so they've they've seen some really really good defensive teams already, which is a good thing because it, it means you've got you've got something to grow from and build on. You know what it's going to be like. You're not going to be shocked when you know you're in Madison or. Uh, you know, um, Columbus, wherever, and and you're facing that kind of defense because they've seen it now. So hats off to Markey for continuing to impact the game offensively and really the whole team for withstanding that to an extent, the turnovers aside. Yeah. 
Uh, and then Tyson Walker, 19 minutes, uh, only two points and one rebound, but 10 assists. Uh, yeah. Three turnovers, four steals, a block. Yeah, I he thought was he was insane. great. I thought he was great. This was the best combined game from those two guys. I still think, you know, you saw it at times, I felt at least, I don't know how you felt, there were stretches where A.J. was running, and he did a lot of good things. He had himself a, a nice game, too. But there were stretches where Michigan State stagnated a bit yeah, offensively. Down. Yeah, and they tended to be when A.J. was running the point. I thought when Tyson was in there, the ball was moving. He's, he's, just, he's just a more, a more natural fit, in my opinion, for what they need at that spot. But I'm not bagging on A.J. because if that's your backup, that's, you know, a game like he had tonight, that's, you'll take that. So yeah. combined, I thought it was the best game they've played. Um, yeah, Tyson just, you know, in 10 assists, I saw a stat that Michigan State's um, basketball sports information director Ooh. tweeted. Uh, it was either near or at the end that um, this is the first game Michigan State's had someone in double digits and assists since Cassius Winston in November of 19. Oh, wow. So they didn't have anybody hit it last year. Cassius didn't hit it in Big Ten play at any point that last season either. So, and if you remember, it was the, the he his assists were down a little bit as yeah. a senior. Um, so that's both a statement of what's been going on since then, and hopefully a an optimistic sign for the future that hey. You've got a guy, and I, you know, Tyson wasn't spectacular in anything he did moving the ball. I didn't think, but he just made the right decisions pretty consistently. And hey, that's enough. Yeah. When you, and Michigan State has weapons. I mean, make no mistake, they've got guys who can do things. And so you need a guy who can get you set into what you want to do, and and execute and make the right pass, make the right decisions. And I, I thought for the most part. He did. The other thing about point guards is, you know, 19 turnovers combined, those two guys only had four of them. Mm -hmm. So this is not one you can put on them, as opposed to maybe the Baylor game where they were prime contributors. That was not the case tonight. And 20 assists on 23 made field goals. Um, yeah. It's been a while I, since we've seen, them, seen it that good. Well, and you're right. And, and I, I was thinking about that when I saw that stat up up toward the end of the game. We know that's the way Michigan State wants to play. It's not the only way you can be good offensively. You can be good right. offensively if, if you are a spread-the-floor team where you're attacking the basket. You, you, you rely more on that than, say, you know, passing to get open shots, you know, all of that. But we know that the way Tom Izzo wants to play, that is usually part of the equation. You want that assist-to-made field goal ratio to be high. Mm -hmm. And it was tonight. It's the best it's been this year. Probably, I'm going to guess, the best since Cassius. Um, I would Probably. assume it was a better number than any time last year. I don't know that for sure without going back and looking. But um, but I think that it it bodes well. It should bode well for the future because, again, they're going to see teams that defend like this in the Big mm -hmm. Ten all year long. They're going to see teams that take you out of your initial action, make you go to a second, third choice. You know, all those things are going to happen. And 
you've got to be able to swing the ball side to side, run your stuff, hopefully not kick it away, which they did too much tonight. But that's going to be this Michigan State team at its best because I do think, as we've been seeing lately, this is going to be a good shooting team. So in other words, if you're moving the ball well enough to get open shots, I think this group is going to bury them. Mm-hmm. You know, enough that you're going to feel good about where you stand when it's over. And so all and, – and look, maybe you can look at those assist numbers and say, well, that might have something to do with 10 for 18 from three. And, yeah. and a 47% night from the floor overall – against a good defensive opponent, you know? So I think you're right to call it out. It's an important number, um, and uh, and Michigan State had a lot of guys. I mean, it was Tyson and uh, Tyson and A.J. had 14 of the 20, so they were certainly the dominant presences, but I can think of a lot of guys. I see Max Christie's only credited with one, but it was a great assist. Mm-hmm. Um, it was that... Um, uh, pick and roll to who finished? Was it Bingham? Yeah, I, I can't. Yeah, yeah. But it was a great play. It was kind That's of a in the pocket. Yeah, yep. Really nice. Um, yeah, I'm looking at some of the other guys. Malik Hall had two assists. Um, so it was it was a, a really nice effort in that way, and hopefully something that we continue to see happening. And Malik Hall had a great game, too. 25 For minutes, sure. 15 points, five rebounds, two assists. Uh, he hit three of three from three-pointer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, look, if he keeps this up, I mean, I haven't I haven't looked at his updated season stats, but he might be up around 50% um, on the year from three. I mean, my position has been they need Joey because you do need that threat, that pick-and-pop threat at the four at times. And while Malik had started the year shooting the ball well, I, you know, my feeling has been he's not going to be as aggressive a three-point shooter. You still look if he's going to keep shooting the way he has been. Um, there, there, there. You start getting to dwindling reasons other than just getting him rest. Why you play Joey over him much at all? Yeah, you know. And I've been a I've been a defender, and I still believe they need Joey Hauser um, to really make this thing happen. But boy. Um, another rough not night. Not tonight. Yeah, and and conversely, Malik Hall, who had played two great games in a row against Eastern and Loyola, and then he didn't do a lot in the next two. I, I, I saw that Izzo mentioned he had hurt an ankle in the UConn game, and he seemed to feel that had something to do with it. But it, he looked okay to me tonight, and to see him bounce back, be aggressive, you know, that's the biggest thing, just not being a spectator, right, when Malik yeah. – it rarely has it been the case where we've said about Malik Hall, God, he's one for nine mm-hmm. from the floor, right? It's usually he just he's not assertive enough in looking. But we're seeing more often. I understand it's not perfect. Everybody wants it night in, night out. But more often than not, I think we're seeing a Malik Hall right now that is looking to make things happen, and that's big. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other guy who had a, a pretty nice game, 10 minutes, Jaden Akins, 10 points in 10 minutes, three rebounds and yeah. assists. Man, he yeah. hit both three-pointers. He he did have three turnovers. He was another guy who fell victim to the, you know, not knowing where the sideline is bit. But um, other than that, yeah, Jaden Akins, I think, was 
outstanding in this game. And and the freshmen as a class, really for the first time, I think, you look at all three of them and say, man, all of those guys did things to contribute to this. They were yeah. all delivering. You know, and they obviously we know Max is capable of much more. I think Jaden's got another gear of horsepower certainly to go from here. And I think Pierre's going to get better and better. So it's not like this is the ceiling. But this is the first time it's happened. Mm-hmm. In part because it's the first time really we've seen Pierre play extended minutes like this. Yeah, and I, I, he, he, the comparison with Draymond Green uh, really sticks out to me with Pierre Brooks. Because I, I remember thinking the first couple, five or ten games I saw of, of uh, Draymond Green's career, it was like, at first you're like, what in the world? And yeah. then, like, every single time he touched the ball, something good happened. And it just uh-huh. feels that same way with Pierre Brooks. It was just a little thing, but in the, he's in the corner. The ball gets swinged around to him. He catches, immediately fires back to Gabe Brown, who was wide open for yep. a three. And yep. you just don't see that very often. Something yep. Somebody make a decision that quick, and it, it made an impact right it's away. It's funny because he's not credited with an assist. I don't know how. <laughs> because yeah. he, you're right. Um, I remember that play. Uh, and then, of course, he hit a three of his own. But before that is what I wanted to highlight, because he played two stints in the first half. One of them, the last one, was the one where he hit the three late to help him get up and and also swinging the ball to to Brown, where they blew it out to that eight-point lead. But the first stint he played, which is by far the earliest I can remember seeing him in the game, Mm. um, I thought he held up really well defensively. And that is the key. Make no mistake about it. That's where he has to contribute for this team. He's got to be at least steady. Because if he is, the offensive stuff that you just mentioned, you know, making mm-hmm. the right play, passing, moving the ball, hitting a three, that stuff is there, man. I have zero doubt, and, and you can see it when, whenever he takes the floor. Pierre Brooks looks confident offensively. He's not always going to make the right play. He missed a couple shots tonight. Um, you know, he's he's not. It's not like we're talking about a guy. Oh, we got to play him because he can go out and get us twenty any given night. But by and large, he's going to do the things that you need him to do well enough to keep the offense humming. You know, he is not going to hurt you, and he's. It's in part because he's skilled, but it's also in part because I think he's got a lot of self belief. Mm-hmm. So it would seem to me somebody, somebody like a Pierre Brooks would eventually become really good at defense. Just well, I, I'll tell you what I think gives him a chance. There's two things. One, and and I'm guilty of this, you know, I made comparisons from the first moment I saw him, the first game of his high school career is the first time I saw him play. And um, I immediately thought, this is a guy who does a lot of the same things Denzel Valentine did. Now, not all of it. He's not nearly as flashy as, as Zell was. But I saw similar size, similar build, um, and, a, and a guy who um, needs needed to obviously get in a little better condition but could shoot the ball, could use his strength to create offense, and was comfortable with the ball in his hands, made good decisions with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so... All of that is there. He's also a smart player. He's a coach's kid, just like Denzel was. That was also, I, I realized this was a, a very obvious, easy comparison. 
to yeah. make between the two. But that, those are the things that led me to think that way. And I think that what could happen well, – well, let me go back to make one other point, and then I'll get into the second one. I do think that in comparing him to Denzel, I maybe shorted him slightly as an athlete. He's not Jaden Akins athletically, mm-hmm. but he's not a bad athlete. He got better athletically as he went along in high school, in my opinion. He added another gear. So that would lead to what you're talking about, that you have reason to hope as he continues to hone his body, get in better condition. You know, athletically, you would hope, okay, he's good enough. He can hang in there, right? Uh-huh. But the other thing is he's just such a smart kid and a smart basketball player that I think the way Denzel did as his career went along at Michigan State, he will use that to help make himself better defensively too. Yeah. I, I just, to me, the biggest thing is Tom Izzo played him at some point within the first 10 minutes tonight, which he has not done yet this year, and he went right out and made a couple of, in my opinion, really nice defensive plays. That is going to get him more time. That more so than hitting the three, making the pass. That that stuff matters too, but I'm telling you, and anybody who follows MSU should know this, if you go out as a young player and you make plays defensively, you're where you're supposed to be, that is going to get you more clock. There's no doubt about it. That's why Jaden Akins, you know, you talk about Jaden Akins scoring 10 points, and that's great, and he can do that stuff. But um, what gets him the role that he's got, in my opinion, first and foremost, is that he goes out and he guards people. Yeah. There's trust. It's why Max Christie is still playing big minutes even when he was struggling with a shot because he's going out and guarding people. So that's that's the equation for Pierre, and I'm with you. I think in time he's going to get there. My only question has been when does it happen? Well, you know, my thought, I think we've talked about it here, was that I was hoping over the Christmas break would be where Pierre could maybe start to make his move, where the team's got time to work on itself. He's got time to work on his game a little bit. We've seen it before with Draymond Green, with Xavier Tillman. That's roughly the time they started to force their way into the rotation. Mm-hmm. We're at December 1st. So if this keeps up and he keeps getting these opportunities, then he's done it two or three weeks sooner than I was thinking he might. That's And, man, wouldn't it be huge for Michigan State if you could even say, hey, we can count on Pierre Brooks for eight pretty decent minutes a night. Yeah. Just eight. That's all you need. If you get that, that that solves a lot of problems. It means, for example, that maybe you can be um, a little more circumspect in terms of the minutes you're giving to Joey Mm. because Malik doesn't necessarily have to do double duty. I don't know if Malik played any wing minutes tonight. I don't think, anecdotally, I don't recall it. I don't think he did. That would be big. Just that alone, because at least it gives you the option. Like if Joey is just not contributing, he's not doing the things that that you need him to do, well, now maybe you don't have to play him. You know, it's a domino effect. Mm -hmm. It it should hopefully keep um, Gabe and and Max and Jaden fresh and dialed in. You know, it has an impact. So I, I was very happy with all three of those guys tonight. I thought they really did a nice job. Okay, well, uh, any other players? Well, Julius Marble, not a huge game statistically. Two points, one rebound. 
one assist, one turnover. But you know, this was this was a night where it was kind of the Marcus Bingham show again. It, it's okay. I didn't think Julius was bad. You know, didn't see him get blown up defensively or anything. Um, Madi Sissoko, brief appearance, got a rebound. Um, also picked up a personal foul. Uh, you know, we talked about – I don't know if we hit big on Gabe. You know, it was an interesting game for Gabe because I thought early, right out of the shoot, he was great. I don't know if he mm-hmm. scored in the second half. To the end of the game with 10, do you recall him scoring yeah. in the second half? I don't think so. He had the dunk and the two threes. Yeah. First half, that's six, eight. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then that transition kind of deal where he had the left-handed layup. Right. So he didn't score in the second half, which is disappointing. Yeah. He did have five rebounds, um, had a steal, which led to one of those buckets. I believe that would led to that left-hand uh, layup that you're talking about mm-hmm. where he dribbled right and then finished with the left. Um, the decision, obviously, late, which I, I did mention, where they're trying to kill the clock, they miss the shot. They get a rebound. Ball gets kicked out to him. That's a moment where your awareness has to trump your instinct. Mm-hmm. You know, it's as simple as that. Your instinct as a shooter, as I mentioned, is automatically, hey, no better time to shoot a three than on a kick out off an offensive rebound. That's just, it's, it's, it's a defenses in those situations, nine times out of ten, are not going to have been able to rotate back to you. So it's usually going to be a wide-open look, as his was. It was objectively a good shot, mm-hmm. um, but not in that situation. It's situational awareness, and Izzo lost his mind. You know, <laughs> and he's got a right to expect more out of a senior. He absolutely does. And then he pulled him. You know, that that's the other thing that I liked. He had enough guys going well in this game that down the stretch of a game that was just starting to teeter maybe on getting to be some game pressure – he felt comfortable enough sitting Gabe for a lot of that. Yeah. You know, that's important. It really and does you can, matter. You could see Gabe and, and Izzo really talking through that one, trying to figure it out. <laughs> Cause, yeah, it's, you, again, you, <laughs> if that decision gets made at the eight-minute mark, totally fine. Mm-hmm. Totally fine. But it didn't. It got made under four. I think it might have even been under three. And their their objective there is different. It's like you just got a gift. You got another twenty seconds that you can run off this clock and execute to hopefully get a good shot draw a foul. Um, that's the primary objective at that point. It's not that all that trumps. Well, you've got an open three, and yeah. you're a rhythm shooter. And in, in another situation, it would be a decent shot. It just wasn't there, but. You know, Gabe did some good things tonight. The first half, he was very impactful. You'd, you'd have liked to have seen better play in the second. But, you know, as we've talked about before, uh, it seems to me that when we're talking about Gabe Brown not being consistently impactful in a game, as opposed to what it's been the first three years of his career where it's a donut or it's a point, we're talking about 10 and 5. Yeah. That's okay. I mean – People have, I've seen people mention that you know Gabe has been MSU's best player this year. I would argue probably for total impact it's Bingham, but I can, but I can understand it. It's, mm-hmm. it's a defensible position. Um, but Markey is is right up there. But at the same time, this is not you know he's not Cassius Winston. Um, I would I would say he's 
probably not even what Aaron Henry was last year. Uh, point being, MSU's got enough guys that he doesn't have to be that. You, MSU can win when Gabe Brown is giving you ten and five. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it does. It's not dooming. You know what I mean? Like it, in in certain situations, you would look at a game and think, man, if Cassius doesn't get it done, um, we got who problems. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, we got problems. Be? Like we're just where are we going to get points? Um, you know, either cash, either, you know, scoring or creating. If we don't get it, where's it coming from, from him? Where's it coming from? That That's not the Gabe Brown scenario, you know? Yeah. yeah. That I don't mean to let him off the hook. They need him to play better than this. They want him to play better than this. But it wasn't bad, and even at kind of a muted level, it was still, it's plenty good enough to win when other guys are playing the way they can. Yeah. Uh, so if you look at the keys, the first key was turnovers. We talked about it a little bit. The the only the only saving grace is again we did mention differential. this. Right, yeah. Louisville has problems too, and a three turnover differential is not enough for that. Mm-hmm. That's how I look at it. They needed to have that be six or seven to really make a difference, you know. Yeah, and it just wasn't that. And uh, offensive glass. Well, you know, this is interesting. So the raw numbers are 10-8 Louisville. And as I mentioned, a lot of that damage was in the first half. But um, So let me see. 61 minutes, 21 will be 40. So it's um, 10, So Louisville had a 27.7 offensive rebounding rate, which is not spectacular. Mm-hmm. It's okay. It's not where where it seemed like it was in the first. It was a lot better in the first half. Trust me. Michigan State, on the other hand, thirty point seven percent. So Michigan State won it by you know two to three percent on the offensive boards. Uh, and remember, this is a a very good Louisville defensive rebounding team. So. Michigan State getting almost 31% of its offensive rebounds, that's a mild victory against that team. I don't want to make too much of it, but in the first half, I thought rebounding had a lot to do with why Louisville was even in the game. That and turnovers were the two things. Um, and uh, and then in the second half, I thought Michigan State really just shut that off on their end. And, and then offensively, I thought they – I don't know what the numbers were by half in terms of the splits, but I thought MSU was a little more active on its offensive glass in the second half. Yeah. So a, a very the, marginal win. A lot of the, I mean, they had – they took 27 threes in this game, uh, Louisville did. A lot of those in the first half especially were, like, bad – three-point bricks <laughs> that just yeah kind of well like, again you know they ended up 26 percent which is below their already bad i think their seasonal average was 29 percent coming in so mm-hmm. they were bad coming in they were a little worse tonight just imagine how it would have looked if Ellis had Ellis hadn't caught fire late yeah that they were that bad. first half and and the first let's say the first 35 minutes of that game i'm gonna guess they were somewhere in the mid-teens I mean, look, some of that is Michigan State doing a decent job of contesting. Let's be honest. Some of it is that, as we said, Louisville <laughs> yeah. just doesn't shoot very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the third key was transition. 
you know, we don't – the numbers we're looking at, uh, I'm going to take one more quick look to see if we can get them, but um, the the stats that I'm seeing don't have uh, fast break points, which, again, I always am kind of skeptical about anyway. Oh, here we go. I will be able to get it. So Michigan State, Louisville had 12 fast break points. Michigan State's credited with 25. And and I do think this. This was a game where I thought Michigan State was um, – it was where A.J. Hogard was strongest, <laughs> which is no surprise, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was, he was able to make plays in transition. Uh, I thought Tyson was good in transition. I thought they – I thought they they got a lot hard. off steals. They sure did. I, that's what I was going to say. This game, more than most we've seen, there were a lot more of those either turnovers for touchdowns or just live ball scenarios where MSU was able to get something, mm-hmm. right? Um, so good stuff. I mean, you can't you can't argue with uh, you can't argue with twenty five fast break points. Again, I'm always skeptical of the veracity of that number, but um, I, I thought overall Michigan State did a pretty good job there, and it and it helped because we did see enough. I think I thought Michigan State did a nice job, obviously shooting the ball in this game. We we know that, but we saw enough to tell us Louisville is as they were advertised in terms of their ability to play half court defense. I think that's a good defensive team. Um, you know they just their 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 gap sound. Uh, you, you saw Michigan State didn't have a lot of – any time they tried to take the ball in the paint, or oftentimes at least, it was crowded. You didn't have you didn't have a lot of space. You didn't have a lot of room. And I thought the encouraging thing was the times they did get that done, I can think of plays that Max made, plays that A.J. made. Um, when they did that, it was the result of really good offensive play by Michigan State because Louisville forced you to do that. Mm-hmm. But but when you're facing a defensive team like this, as we had talked about, you need as many easy points as you can find, and they found a fair amount of them in this yeah. game. Yep. Uh, the fourth key was threes both ways. Uh, that's a huge check. Fifty-six percent. That's the best they've shot all year so far. Yeah, uh, it, it went according to script. I mean, I know Michigan State season totals aren't that much better than Louisville. They have like a 3% edge. But my my feeling is strong on two fronts. One, I do believe this is a good shooting team. Mm-hmm. I, I believe that. I think they got a lot of guys who can shoot. And two, I think we started to see in the Bahamas, as we talked about, five out of six halves there, they shot it really well from deep. Now we continue with two more. We're at seven out of eight. I'm not saying Michigan State's going to shoot 56% every night, certainly, but I do think this is a team that can have three-point shooting as a strength. When when you look at Louisville as a shooting team, it's pretty obvious they do not have the upside that Michigan State has mm-hmm. from out there. I mean, there's a there's a difference to me in the way they look, just the eye test, um, that is bigger than the 3% gap that was there coming into the game. So, yeah, check, yeah, check. And you look at how Jaden Akins and Pierre Brooks have been shooting the three, and yeah. that is a huge boost off that bench. Right. 
And, you know, you don't want to get carried away with it to expect it to just continue unabated and they're just going to, yeah. you know. But, but no, it's uh, this team has a lot of guys that can shoot. I mean, Joey's obviously struggling. We know that. But we know that he's capable of hitting a shot. Malik, to me, the only conclusion you can reach, whatever we are, eight games in, is that he has improved, clearly. I mean, I... You know, will he stay 40% plus over the course of the year? That remains to be seen. But I think he's shown enough to make you think. You know, I saw Jim Camperoni made a uh, raised the uh, Kenny Goins senior year leap forward as a shooter. And, and maybe that's what's going on. I, I would say Malik has shown that potential from very early in his career. It's a little different than with Kenny. But yeah. um, he's right now it looks like he's taking that jump. Mm-hmm. And if it continues, then I have to backtrack on what I've talked about in terms of the necessity to play Hauser and give him every opportunity to get out of this. You know, Malik is the better player, clearly, now. There's no argument there. But my thought had been, you know, one, they want to use him in different ways. He can do different things offensively. He can take people off the dribble. He can post. You know, he can score in different ways. You don't want him to just exclusively be a pick-and-pop guy. And two, I just didn't know how aggressive he was going to be. But, man, tonight, taking three of them, hitting them all. Yeah. That's, yeah. But this, you know, you think about it, truthfully, other than uh, Julius Marble isn't necessarily a guy you want to shoot the three. But if Julius Marble has an open 15-footer, I'm fine with it. Marcus Bainham, same thing. So, really, when you look at the guys they're playing, it's Sissoko, who barely plays. And, you know, I guess, A.J. Hogard, although um, I'm going to look and see if we've got updated stats on the season. Um, he hasn't shot all that bad. Here it is. He's at, well, he's at 29%. He's two for seven. That's counting the one he hit tonight. So this is only the second three he's hit. He hit one against Kansas. He's not taking a lot, obviously. Seven attempts yeah. in eight games. He's And that's how it should be. But but really, you're talking about, at most, two guys in an 11-man rotation at, at its biggest who are not shooting threats. That doesn't mean they're all clicking at all times, but you get my point. This is a team that should be tough to defend because of that, because it can come from anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, the 15 with slump busters. Well... Fifty percent, I would argue. Not not yeah. that it was a huge game for Max, but I think it was an important game for Max because it was, you know, against a, a solid opponent, and the fact that he didn't let some and he was rough early, like Max did not get off to a good start, mm-hmm. and the fact that he was able to keep coming, stay engaged, never let his defense dip. And then I thought he got he was much better in the second half. I'm not sure what the point splits were. He ended up with ten. I'm gonna guess that eight of those came in the second half, I think. I think he only had the one bucket in the first half. Um so, you know, decent sign for him. And much, much, much better days ahead, but not bad. Yeah. Uh, Joey obviously struggled, you know. Um Ofer, he had the uh, one bucket, I think, but uh, on a uh um, a layup where he got loose off a pick and roll, but um, missed a couple threes, and then the three turnovers obviously was not good, and they were bad turnovers too. Mm-hmm. They were just 
just bad, badly executed passes. Um, and to me, I mean, I I try not to make too much out of the how does a guy look, you know, all that stuff. You really can lead yourself astray if you start trying to analyze that stuff. But I I will say, um, I thought at times in this game he looked down. You know, he looked like a guy that's struggling and is struggling yeah. with self-belief. And so uh, I, I still believe they got to keep trying to find ways um, to uh, to get him through this. Because, God, what a bonus if if you got, you know, and I'm, I'm not going too far with this, if you could get, you know, eight and six out of Joey yeah. every night and, you know, have him as a mid-30s three-point shooter – that that's fine. With this Malik call, this version of it, that that would be a okay. But they're not getting anything close to that yet. So, one for two on that one. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, anything else? We got Toledo coming up Saturday. Yeah, you know Toledo is, and I haven't honestly, I haven't put working on it yet. But in general, um, Toledo is a solid MAC program. Um, I'm going to pull it up real quick as we're talking about them here um, and okay. see what we get. Um, well, they're not. 126. Okay, 126 in Ken Palm. Yeah. So that's, yeah. But they're, they've only lost one. They lost yeah, the so they're behind. In their league, they're behind Miami of Ohio and Ohio. And Buffalo. Okay. So they're fourth. That would be about right. Buffalo, I think, is pretty clearly the class of that league from what I've seen. Um, but, yeah, it, it goes to show you that, um, you know, they're a, they're a solid team at that level, better than Eastern and Western, Michigan State's seen already. So um, you'd expect a little stiffer test there. I know they've got at least one kid, one local kid. They have a kid named Ryan Rollins who was part of the family uh, AAU program from out of Detroit. He, I think he played at Macomb, Dakota, which was um, Thomas Kithier's original high school. Um, and I'm trying to think what year. So he's a sophomore, yeah. So, um, yeah, he was on – that's right. He was on teams with uh, Jalen Terry and – and um, Ernie Sanders and Malik Carr and that whole group. He was he was kind of a bit part player there, but he really came on later in uh, his high school career and had a had a pretty good end to it at Dakota. And I'm pulling it up to see how he's doing. So hopefully I'm not hyping him. He's only scoring two a game. No, he's he's uh he's averaging 20 points a night. So I guess I was wrong. Wow. <laughs> That's so. Uh, yeah, 33% from three, 49% overall, 79% at the line. He's chipped five rebounds, 3.7 assists, 1.6 steals. He's doing a lot of things well. The only negative, 2.9 turnovers, but he's doing a lot well for them. So he'll he'll certainly be a guy, you know, when you're playing these schools, MAC or Horizon schools, the problem you face if you're Michigan State often is you're going up against kids who are very highly motivated because – Either they've got friends on your roster, they think you should have recruited them and didn't, or oftentimes both. Mm-hmm. And so that would be the the issue with him. But he's turned into a very good player 
Uh, I would expect it to be a challenge, you know, but it's certainly a game. If you're Michigan State, hey, you got to win that, you yeah. know. And we and we talked about this one that they got tonight being kind of an important. I, I don't know if I'd call it a swing game, but a game that sets you up to be in really good position, I think, as you look to move through December and into the new year. You know, you got Toledo. Yeah. Then I believe you've got the two Big Ten games, what, Penn State and Minnesota, is that right? Yep. Minnesota, um, Penn State, yep. And then Oakland and High Point. So the, after Penn State and after Minnesota and Penn State, then they're at the 11th. They don't play again for 10 days. It'll be Oakland. And Oakland is off to a fantastic start, maybe the mm-hmm. best they've had in forever. Because um, they're actually not just playing some high majors competitively, they're beating some of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's another big gap of eight days, and they play high points. So, you know, you, you want to beat Toledo, obviously, going into those two Big Ten games. Those are clearly very important. Everybody understands that. But, um, you know, there's, there's an opportunity for Michigan State here to really build some momentum, you know. And, and I'll say this, the first two games in January uh, coming out of um, – you know, coming into the new year and going back into Big Ten play, they're at home against – I'm sorry, they're at Northwestern and at home against Nebraska. So you would really feel like you're set up for a hell of a start going into a game at Michigan on uh, on January 8th. And I don't want to get too ahead of things, but, you know, if, if we're speculating that, that these are the these are the kind of situations that if you have any thoughts about being – a contender in the conference, putting yourself in position to uh, be in a good spot when it comes to seeding and all that stuff in the tournament, making sure you're not in a grind to just make the tournament like they were last year, Um, all those things. This is your opportunity now. You've done enough. You've earned it. You've done enough. You took two out of three in the Bahamas. You won that road game at Butler very impressively. Now you handled a decent Louisville team at home, mostly the way I think you should have. Um, they're set up. They're set up to to really put themselves in position to have that momentum built and and let that carry through. You know, and if once you get momentum, I mean, we've seen it with Michigan State teams before where there were doubts. Mm-hmm. Um, you only have to go back as far as the eighteen nineteen season. There were doubts about that team because of how much they lost, losing Jaron, losing Miles, et cetera. Then they they played well, played reasonably well early on. Then you lose Josh Lineford, and then relatively soon after that you lose Nick Ward, two of your arguably your three best players, right? Mm. That's how people would have thought about it heading into the season at least. And that team figured it out. Xavier Tillman obviously continued to elevate his game. Kenny Goins, Matt McQuaid got better. And Cassius Winston turned into a superstar. Um, That team built momentum, and it just, I think there was that self-belief that at a certain point, it's like, hey, we're really, really good. Yeah. And, and And we've seen that with other MSU teams in the past. So that's kind of the opportunity that I'm seeing here coming up. You have to play well. You have to earn it. You know, but the opportunity is there because you've already accomplished some things. You've already put some work in, played well, done some of the things. 
you needed to do. I mean, if we were talking about last year's team, you know, the game they played tonight or any of the three games they played in Atlantis, that that those would have been I, I know that team got it together at the end and beat some really good opponents, but especially at this time of the year, that team was not anywhere close to where this team is in terms of readiness to win games like that. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, and we saw that. So you know, this team thus far, I don't think there's been any game where you came away from it thinking, Jesus, we just really played like absolute shit. Like even in a win <laughs> even in wins last year you felt that way. Yeah. You know, the in state opponents in the non conference. You didn't feel great about those games. You know, and it ended up showing up when they started playing better teams than that, they struggled. This team so far, we are not seeing those problems. By and large, they are playing to their capability in total. Not not to say that every element is there, but you know what I'm saying. Overall, they haven't lost to anybody that you could say, well, that's a bad loss. Certainly not. And their wins have been really good wins. Mm. Their wins, I don't think that we feel like any of their wins, well, they just kind of backed into it, right? No. So they got to keep that going. And you look at it, Rod, I mean, they got Purdue at home, and they only play them once. Yep. Well, and that's a blessing. The, in fe- late February. Because <laughs> that team, and look, the only thing I could say that's positive on that front, besides the fact that it's at the Breslin, is um, it is December 1st. Is that right? Yeah, December 1st. Going to be December 2nd soon. Um, be, and that by that I mean there is time for things to go wrong for Purdue. But right now, man, that's that's the best team in the country. Mm-hmm. I, I knew they'd be very, very good. I've talked about it pretty openly here from the off season into the season. But, man, they, they are – that is a team. And, and here's going to be the fun thing. You know, Michigan State, I think, is playing really well defensively, and I think they've even got a chance to get better still from where mm-hmm. they are. I don't think they're at their peak. Purdue is, in my opinion, the best offensive team in the country because they've got all the strengths that we're used to Purdue teams having. They've got the two-headed monster inside. Um, yeah. They've got guys that can shoot. But now they have Jaden Ivey. Mm-hmm. They've never, ever in the Painter era you got to go back to Big Dog to find a guy, and he was a different player, but to find a guy that was a that dynamic. Yeah, just dynamic. Like, Jaden Ivey changes everything because he can just, if anything else is stagnating, he can just go get you a bucket with athleticism and skill. I mean, and mm. the scary thing is he's still not a finished package as a shooter. I think he's got another gear here. I don't know what he's what he's shooting from three. I'm going to call it up real quick since we're talking about it. Um, but if he ever improves that jumper, good God! I mean, because <laughs> he's off the dribble in transition. I mean, he's well. I'm. You know what? Yeah, he's done it. Forty three percent is plenty good. So he's. I haven't been keeping up. He shoots like that, and it's lights out. I saw somebody on Twitter, one of the national media guys made, I thought, a really good comparison for him, um, Russell Westbrook. And if yeah. people may remember, Russell Westbrook was not – he was kind of an underrated guy among all those stars. That was a point where 
Ben Howland had it going, Kevin Love, and you know, on and on and on. He just had, he had teams that went to three straight Final Fours, and Westbrook was part of all that. But Westbrook was not the highest rated guy, and it, he was okay as a freshman. But his sophomore year, he just exploded, if I'm remembering correctly. And Jaden Ivey was a top 100 recruit, but he, I don't think he was a top 50 guy. Hmm. Um, I saw a number today that said he was ranked 78th. I'm not sure if that was consensus or just in one service, but that strikes me as about right. And and he's doing what he's doing. Uh, if if that shooting touch remains, if he shoots 40% plus on the year, he's first-team All-American, chance at National Player of the Year, and Purdue has a real chance to win their first national title. So Purdue is that good. But yeah. that said, Michigan State, with the way they can defend, you'd at least, you know, if progression keeps going, you'd at least hope they have a chance to slow them down. Big ifs. Um, but, that, yeah, to, to me, um, that's the one team in the league that I look at and think, man, it, it might take your A night and their C night. It might. <laughs> I, I think, honestly, and I mean, I, don't, I hope I'm not overhyping them. But they are as good a Big Ten team, in my eyes. Um, I think they got the potential to be better than those Wisconsin teams of a few years ago. Mm-hmm. I think they've got obviously, you know, Michigan State has had Final Four teams. I think they got the potential that they're just deeper. They've got more tools. Um, you might have to go back to the Ohio State team with uh, Greg Oden and Mike Conley and those guys that that just had the misfortune to be around when Florida had just an insane team of their own with Noah and Horford and all those guys. Um, That Ohio State team, I believe, wins the national title eight out of ten years, something like that. Even Rick Johnson, they were were that good. And And Oden hurt his wrist too, didn't he? Well, he was still pretty good. He was still pretty <laughs> was good in shooting in those, free throws yeah. left-handed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's I, in my eyes, just in terms of the totality of it, that's probably about as far back as as I would go. And and the thing that's great about Purdue is, as I've talked about already when we did our preview, it's the total package because they're incredibly deep. They are incredibly experienced. They've got size. Now we're seeing the one maybe kind of question mark was would they be an improved shooting team? Well, so far, so good on that front. And, you know, I knew based on what I had heard and what I had, had seen about how he played in the um, in the summer for the U.S. under-19 national team that Ivy seemed set to take a great jump forward, but he's been even beyond what I thought. I thought he had a chance to maybe be a first-team all-conference player. I think right now you're talking about him as – you know, Big Ten Player of the Year, first team All American. He's it's early, but he what he's doing, if he sustains it at close to this level, he's gonna be in the conversation for all those things. So anyway, look, enough about we got plenty of time to deal with Purdue. I think the important thing is <laughs> state, they did they did what they needed to do tonight. I think there were some problems, but by and large, a pretty, pretty good performance. And now you know they're set up to maybe continue to build this momentum and hit the new year and the and the the meat of the Big Ten schedule, feeling pretty good about who they are, and that's a mm-hmm. starting place. You know. Okay. Well, 
we'll put a bow on this one. Until next time, the final four is not on the schedule. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.